I received a request this afternoon from somebody. Somebody telephoned. Somebody who downloads these talks from the internet said, um, would you give a talk tonight on dealing with hell? Uh, this person, is, I guess, is having a bad time and uh, wanted to know how to deal with hell. Now, if... Uh, if you can remember what it's like to be in hell, then you know that uh, it's not uh, not an easy matter. If you can't remember, well, then um, then perhaps it's not so easy to uh, to empathise. Uh, according to Buddhist teachings, all of us have been there many times, circulating around heaven realms, hell realms, and everything in between uh, since the beginningless time. And, uh, but we don't have to wait until we, we die before we can experience hell. We also know what it's like. Uh, we can know what it's like to inhabit a human body and to be uh, caught in hell. The experience of, of being possessed, for instance, by hatred you know, or possessed by terror. Possessed to the meaning that the experience of, of losing all perspective where we can't see clearly at all. We feel this is me and part of the experience of, of being caught in a state like that, possessed in a state like that, is the perception that it's going to last forever. And so it's easy to understand why in some religions they talk about eternal hell because it feels like that. At the time, or eternal heaven. Maybe, maybe some of you are really actual daywas and can't remember what it's like being in hell, but you know what it's like being in heaven. You developing lofty states of mind and and altruistic states of heart, and and just love the beauty of existence. And and when you're really lost in that and caught in that and uh, indulging in that, well, then again, there's the feeling of this is going to last forever. Or even if you're not necessarily a jhana master and, uh, and indulging in, uh, in an ultimately refined states of consciousness, but you know how to have a good time in the, in the spa pool. Uh, <laughs> somebody just came back from the holidays yesterday was telling me how uh, they... Had a very nice house, and they rented it and for their holidays recently. And and he would get out and uh, soak in their private pool. And there's a nice little bench. They just kind of sit on this pool, and nice, just the right temperature, cloudless blue sky. And then his wife would bring his breakfast out, and just sit on the edge of the pool. And he would just sit there and have his breakfast 
and then you just relax in the pool and freshly squeezed orange juice and eggs that are just right and nice toast and and uh, just another day of cloudless blue sky and no phone calls, emails or problems to deal with. Sometimes it can feel just so good, just so right. And, and, and when you're in a state like that, if you're really lost in, in a state like that, well then we can forget that this is a condition. This is a condition. We're born into a condition. Uh, yes, this, the, the circumstances are so thoroughly agreeable uh, the gross and subtle circumstances are so thoroughly agreeable that what gets activated is this um, intense sense of pleasure and then, yes, the mind then grasps at it and then with grasping there is birth. We're then born into a heavenly realm and as we inhabit that heavenly realm there can be the feeling of this is going to last forever. And we can, uh, when we're in heaven we can have all sorts of wacky ideas, you know, like, Falling in love is a kind of heaven realm. Whatever the situation, if we're grasping and we're lost, then uh, the decisions that we made are to some degree not fully responsible and, and our perceptions are distorted. But the, uh, the point that needs to be made here is that we are creating the heavenly realm by grasping at pleasure. And likewise, we create the hell realm by grasping at negative mind states, gross negative mind states. According to the Buddha's teachings, the, uh, the lower realms, below being a human being, you get the animal realms, then the hungry ghost realms, and then the hell realms. And uh, the transmigration through all these realms we're going to human being we can go up to celestial realms all the different levels of heaven and and then we could go down into the uh, the animal realm or the hungry ghost realm or the um, hell realm the animal realm is where uh, we get possessed by uh, the animal instincts you know just raw animal passion and uh, as human beings we're quite capable of knowing the state I mean, Maybe some of you can't remember the hell realm, but probably all of us can remember the animal realm, where we just get possessed by a raw lust, raw anger. It is not in a, in a, in a totally um, hellish state, but still a negative state, where we lose our intelligence, we lose our discernment. And likewise, we can experience the uh, hungry ghost realm, where we get possessed by craving, not just normal, kind of average human craving, which we're all very familiar with, but where we get possessed. This is like, this is obsession, this is obsessive behavior, this is, this is addiction, where we get addicted. And maybe some of us know that state, uh, certainly we, we know other people who, who uh, are locked into that state, and whether it's alcohol addiction or, or uh, any other form of uh, sense abuse, um, there's plenty of it around. But the hell realms... Uh, where we get so possessed in these negative states that we lose all perspective, whether it's terror or, or hatred. But the message I, I think we need to get and we need to reflect on is that this is not an ultimate condition. Now, you know, some religions will teach you that, you know, that hell is eternal or heaven is eternal. 
And as I said, this is understandable because when you get possessed by these states, it feels that way. It really does feel, can feel that way. But the reason that we're Buddhists, at least the reason I'm a Buddhist, is because the Buddha saw the transitory nature of all states, all conditions. Yeah. We don't see the transitory states of, some, of all conditions. We see the transitory state nature of some conditions. And so we have faith, we have confidence, which is profoundly important. And the Buddha encourages to apply this faith and this confidence through all experience. So it doesn't matter how refined or how subtle our pleasure or enjoyment, heaven is not a permanent condition. It doesn't matter how convincing it might appear, don't believe it. You know, like when you're getting you're really subtle in your meditation, you think, and then the thought is just like, this is it, I'm enlightened. You know, that thought can be so appealing. You know, and we can grasp at it, and then you go mad. And you go off and start teaching you know, from the perspective of thinking that you're enlightened, when in fact you're nuts. You know. If you have a thought like that, then the suggestion the Buddha gave was to let go of it. You know. Likewise, if you have angry thoughts, it doesn't matter how tempting it is, you know, how tempting it is to grasp a hold of angry thoughts. You know. The teaching, the training is to... to, to be so present at the time that we, re we don't lose ourselves. We don't create a hell realm. We don't have to create a hell realm. The transcendence that the Buddha experienced was beyond the heaven and hell realms. But we're all quite capable of creating these heaven and hell realms. But it's, it's terribly important that as we contemplate this, we, we do bear this in mind. We are, the, we are the authors. We have the authority. We are the ones who create these realms of existence, by our habits of grasping. Now, uh, I've referred here to the, uh, the, the, the Buddhist uh, concept of cosmology and the life-after-life life experience of being reborn and dying in all of these realms of existence, and some people don't feel comfortable in believing in that, and, and that's understandable if you haven't been brought up with it or if you've been brought up with a contrary view and a, and a really sceptical scientific model that that questions everything, but to the point of being compulsive, which some of us have, well then, yeah, it's understandable that we, we don't want to take on such a view. What the Buddha asked was that we don't dismiss such a view, because uh, he said, as far as he was concerned, it was an accurate view. And I, these days I don't have any problem you know, uh, taking on these, these views. But uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to grasp with these views uh, and say, oh yeah, I believe in heaven and hell. Uh, absolutely, and that makes me a good Buddhist. That's not cool for us, as long as we don't dismiss them. And then what we can do is we can study how these things happen in our daily life, you know, the heaven and hell realms that we create, and just how we do it, when we do it, where we do it. But I think most important, perhaps, is how we do it. You know, we train ourselves with meditation and little by little learn to let go of the the uh, grosser distractions of the mind and the mind starts to calm down and become more clear and settled and peaceful and until hopefully we discover what it's like to just sit and be silently aware and still and not to grasp at the pleasure and the beauty that naturally arises with that but just to let it be there, just to rest in that to rest in that sense of, of ease 
desire can get in there and say, oh, I don't want just comfortable ease. I want to really get the most out of this. And so we hammer away harder at our meditation object and try and potentize the state and turn it into something even better still. Well, that you know, might do something interesting, but uh, probably there's a chance that we're also uh, creating a, a resistance. And, and when we do first experience peacefulness and calm, what's important, what's wise and skillful is to learn how to just rest in that. Just, just let it let it heal the mind, let it heal the body, you know, become familiar with it, enjoy it. And in that state of relaxed ease or calm, then we can, we can maintain mindfulness, we can cultivate mindfulness, because it's the mindfulness that protects us from creating, compulsively creating, heaven and hell realms. If we don't have the mindfulness, well then, even though our meditation might protect, might might uh, take us to to a place of ease or well-being, uh, we can we can spoil it. And if uh, anyway, if we have experienced the benefit of meditation and we know what it's like to become a peaceful and reflective, then when there are these negative mind states come up, when there is ill will, we remember to just be there for it, not. Not as I, I've said so many times before, not to just default to our habit of judging it and saying, oh, I shouldn't be having these negative states. That way we just push it aside and we don't really get the message. Sooner or later it's important for us to investigate these negative states, even the small moments, especially the small moments. And sometimes we think the small moments of fear or anxiety or ill will, resentment, don't really matter. And we can dismiss them and then just go back to trying to develop the things that we, we like, the things we enjoy, like being happy and pleasure, and pleasant memories and success and progress and these things. But sooner or later, we're going to have to uh, see the value, not just force ourselves to investigate negative states, but to come to appreciate that the only reason that these negative states keep coming up and uh, getting in the way is because we don't understand them. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, I think it was, I was in Newcastle and there's that, I walked past that uh, church that's got that big sign on the door that, that I think from the very first year I was here, I've, I've always wanted to go and ask the vicar why he's got it there. It says, hate all evil, love all good. And, and as soon as I saw it, I said, well, I would replace the hate evil with understand evil. Understanding evil is what we need to do. Because if we don't understand evil, then we just keep fighting with it. Hating evil in any way. I hear that they had a conference about that sign on the door, because I guess it must upset quite a few people. And what uh, their angle was that they don't hate the evildoer, they just hate the evil. And uh, that's justified. That's, that's, they, they find that's a, that's a useful way of approaching it. Well, I, I still I don't, um, I don't agree with that um, because if we entertain hate in our minds, if we entertain hate in our hearts, then it turns us toxic. That hate is, hate is a toxin. Just philosophizing about it or moralizing about it or, or just believing in what's right and wrong is not enough. If we do practice meditation and we 
and know what it's like to have a calm, peaceful heart and mind, well then, when something evil or negative, even subtly negative, comes in, we study it. Yeah. We get interested in it. Yeah. If somebody at work offends you, insults you, says something dismissive or rude, and, and you, you just ignore it at the time and then get on with your work, and then at night you go back and you sit meditation, and there it is. And you can come up and you start thinking, how dare he say that? Good. Not bad. That's good. That's good that we're sitting there having such a state. Because we're only going to have such experiences if the seeds of ill will are still there within us. And we're only going to be able to recognize them for what they are and remove them and be free from them if we understand them. Understanding, you know, wisdom is the liberating factor, not belief. So we have confidence and faith in the Buddha's teaching, but uh, what we really need is to just use that, that faith and confidence to give us the energy and the sense of presence, and the sense of mindfulness and the steadiness of mind, the awareness, the focus, so that when these negative things come up, we don't create a hell realm out of them. We don't fall into hell. Yeah. Any of you... I started off by saying, if any of you know what it's like to be in hell, you know how important this is. Hell is intolerable. It is intolerable. You can't sleep. You go to bed at night. You can't sleep. You know, if you do sleep, you wake up and you know, feeling like you're in hell, and you think this is going to last forever. But what the Buddha wanted us to understand was this is nobody else's fault. This is something that we are in charge of. Yeah. We don't have to be afraid that uh, somebody's got the authority over us. This is why the Buddha's teaching was so liberating, because before the Buddha in India, all the teachings that were around uh, taught that the authority was outside of us, within the stars or in the gods or whatever. Or these days, people often think it's in your genes. You know, you've got a bad set of genes when you're born, and so you go and, I don't know, sue your parents? Can you sue your parents yet for genes and bad genes? (laughs) Well, certainly you can feel bad towards somebody, you know, blame somebody. Well, uh, what the Buddha was encouraging was you know, that there's nobody to blame. We don't even blame ourselves. If we want to blame anything, we blame unawareness. But unawareness is completely our responsibility. Yeah. And so when there is awareness, well, we don't blame ourselves. Because you see, the blaming, actually, that blaming is a way of avoiding responsibility. And uh, and as we start to get a feeling for this, well, then we get our energy back. We say, no, I'm not a victim. Yeah. Yeah, I might fall into hell, but I'm not a victim. Nobody else has put me there. Yeah. And it, even such a thought like that can start to get us out of hell. And if we start to get some sati back again. Yeah. Because when you're in hell, it's like your heart is closed and your mind is clouded and the, just the fire and the smoke and the and that the horror of the passions has, has possessed us, yeah. then we lose all perspective completely. Yeah. Well, even if we can just have the thought that the, the, the Buddha encourages us to question the way it appears to be, just that. Yeah. Don't be sure. Everything, you know, this is Ajahn Chah's main teaching is not sure. This is such a helpful, such a wonderful reminder. Everything is impermanent. Now, that's not, that's not just a philosophical statement that we're supposed to go along with or argue about, but something to feel. Yeah. 
to feel this, to appreciate in our daily life, to feel the absolute inherent uncertainty of all that's going on around us, the uncertainty of everything, to invest, to make a habit. I was talking, I think it was last week, about good habits, cultivating good habits. And, and one good habit we can cultivate is this regular reflection on the impermanence of things, you know, the impermanence of all things, you know, to make a point of just looking at it. And, and um, during this past week, we we had some good friends come to the monastery and uh, and they were suffering the loss of, of their child. But one of the things, one of the mainstays that supported them through this, this tragic loss and the feeling of sadness and despair was the well-ingrained, well-understood, well-appreciated Buddhist teaching that everything is uncertain, everything is impermanent. And that even though the, it, the life that was born to them didn't last in the way they hoped, that doesn't mean to say anything's gone wrong. When we don't have this understanding, we don't have this appreciation that everything's impermanent, then when we don't get what we want, when something, or we lose something that we had that we liked very much, is taken away from us, then there's the feeling of, it shouldn't be this way. Something's gone wrong. And that's when the negative emotions come up. We take a fixed position, it shouldn't be this way. And then the negative emotions come up, and then there's the risk that they'll possess us, and that's when we stand this chance of creating a hell realm. And, and, and tragically, this is often what happens over death, especially around death of a child. A tragically painful thing, and perhaps, perhaps one of the worst things that could happen to a parent. But these things do happen. This is normal for human beings to experience loss, tragedy, fear, even terror. How can we prepare ourselves so that we don't create and fall into a hell realm? Well, this regular reflection on impermanence is one way of doing that, to, to study it, to reflect on it regularly, until it becomes, well, as we say, our second nature. And so then if something does happen that's too big for us, too much for us, and we do create and then fall into a hell realm, this reflection can come up. It can, can uh, remind us, well, maybe it's not the way it appears to be. It can really feel this way. It really feels this is absolutely intolerable. Yeah. Absolutely intolerable. And hell is intolerable. But just because it appears that way doesn't mean maybe it isn't that way. Yeah. Sadly, this is, this is one of the things that takes people to suicide because they believe that hell is permanent. And, and, and I think those who teach this teaching that hell is permanent, heaven is permanent, are, are, are making something, saying something that's very seriously wrong, very inappropriate. It's a, a tragic thing to teach that these conditions are permanent. What's really worthwhile is to encourage people to see, to study, to investigate the absolute impermanence of all things, so that if we do create and fall into hell, then maybe there's a chance this thought arises. But it really feels this way. It really absolutely does feel this is eternal, but maybe it's not. And there's a little possibility, a little doubt arises. And then there's a chance we get some energy from that, we get some hope from that, we get some confidence from that. Until we learn to let go, and then we feel the release of the pain of hell. Or also we can prepare ourselves with uh, the cultivation of the heart of loving kindness, of compassion. Because this is very, this helps quell the fires of indignation, 
of rage, of, of terror, of fear. If we wait till we're in hell, then it's very difficult to start cultivating loving kindness. Yeah. It's the same as it's, it's difficult to start contemplating the, the law of impermanence if we're in hell. But if we uh, have received a good spiritual education and um, we take these teachings seriously, well then we can prepare ourselves with this. And, and what happens instead of, when we're in hell, instead of fueling the hatred with more hatred and resentment, hating ourselves for having created and fallen into a hell realm again, hating ourselves having failed, or hating those who have made us into a victim, or who we think have made us into a victim, instead of fueling it, there's a counter-momentum. That even though it really feels justified to hate this state, to hate myself, to hate them, to hate the enemy, even though it can feel totally justified on a physical, energetic, mental, emotional level, there's something that comes from a deeper level, deeper level, which is the impulse to love, the impulse to care, the impulse to care. And, and yeah, as I was saying, if we haven't prepared ourselves with it, well, then it's quite difficult. If we have the good fortune of um, falling into a state like that, not a good fortune of falling into a state like that, but if we have the good fortune of having fallen into a state like that and then meeting somebody who knows the power of love, who knows the power of compassion, then maybe they can reflect that for us. And that's a great blessing. And perhaps one of the most healing and helpful things that can never, you can ever do for somebody who has created and fallen into hell. Hmm. Trying to understand them and explain to them why they're in hell is um, questionable. If they're really in hell, it's probably not going to get very far. But if we can just love them, just feel for them, feel with them, to really receive, not be, not hate hell. If we've studied this for ourselves and seen how we create these states for ourselves and learned how to not hate hell, not pour petrol on the fire, well then there is the possibility that when we're with other people who have made the mistake out of unawareness, not because they're bad, not because there's anything wrong with them, just because out of unawareness, and they created this realm and fall into it, that, uh, that we can offer them something. And if this is something, as I said, this has happened to us, then to appreciate that you know, although hell and heaven and all the realms in between are impermanent, doesn't mean to say that they're going to disappear just because we want them to. And sometimes we just have to endure. There has to be a willingness to, to endure hell. We don't have to endure heaven. You can't really learn very much in heaven. You can have a holiday in heaven. You know, like my friend in his pool and his wife bringing him breakfast. I mean, that's a holiday. But you don't learn very much. You can relax and you can overcome you know, a little stress and, and so on. And it can be refreshing. But you don't learn very much in heaven. But in hell, if we find ourselves there, well, we can learn a lot. But it does take uh, tremendous patience. And so another aspect of coping with hell is the willingness to bear with it. it can, it's perfectly understandable and it can feel very tempting to just, oh, I just, I just, I just wish it was like it used to be. 
I wish, it, wish I wish I'd never done that. Whatever it was that dropped us in hell, or I wish you know, I never said that. Maybe you've done something, and your partner's left you, and then you've got a, a divorce on your hands. I think Chogun Trungpa described one of the lowest hell realms as the place that hurts more than divorce. Yeah. That, uh, and you can think, well, if only I hadn't done that, or if only I hadn't said that. Or, yeah. But that it's not going to help us. If only, the if only mind is a, is a, real, it's a real temptation. But it's, it's uh, certainly not practice. And so we need to recognize and say this. If only I wasn't in hell. Well, <laughs> what we need to do is, say, okay, this is how it is right now. And to remember the teachings, it's not the way it appears to be. And that can just give us a little bit of space around it. And, and to also remember to remember the encouragement to keep coming back to the body. You know, hell is a mental state. To get a perspective on it so that we can, so that we can just get a little bit of space, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of coolness. And body awareness is really skillful. And again, prepare ourselves beforehand. This is the encouragement that we have. Over and over again we get the teachings. First foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body. You know, to do it with mindfulness of body posture, mindfulness of body sensation. But I find and encourage people most profoundly useful is the awareness of the body posture, to feel what it feels like to feel this body, to come back to this body. And, and if we're in hell, then that can really help a lot. As can, um, quite practically speaking, exercise. People fall in hell and the tendency is just to stay in your room or stay in your chair or stay in bed. I suppose depression can be a hell realm. Disappointment can just put you in bed for a week. Not because you're physically ill, but the the mental state. Well, it's perhaps useful to reflect that these, these mental states are also a chemical What's going on is affecting the body. These, these mind states of resentment or fear or anxiety or, or depression is affecting the body. And the ne- negative chemical, uh, these uh, toxic chemicals are possessing the body. And so one of the best things to do is to get, get exercise. Exercise until you're really tired. Okay. Go swimming, go jogging, or, or even go dancing. I, mean, I think. Uh, Sometimes when I advise people to go dancing, they think that I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I, you know, even if you feel depressed, you know, dancing, I think, can be, it's much better than giving these drug companies money. You, know, you just put on Led Zeppelin, you know, something really good. <laughs> I don't know, whatever, whatever brings you alive. Even if you don't think anything brings you alive anymore, just put on something that's good to dance to, really loud, and start to move. Movement is very important. And the body and the mind go together. And so to get the body moving, and, to, and this can also help us get a perspective, and not to fall for the trap that it appears it's going to last forever. That's the way it appears to be. Yeah. That's why when we chant, we chant, Loka we do. The Buddha is the knower of the world. The Buddha is the knower of the world because he saw through all the worlds, all the worlds of existence, all the six realms of existence. 
You know, the heavenly realms, the fighting gods realm, the human realm, the animal realm, the hungry ghost realm, and the hell realm. All the realms, all the worlds, the Buddha saw through all of them. So they're all impermanent, all unsatisfactory, and all not self. Yeah. Well, our task is how to remember it. But we don't want to wait until it happens before we prepare ourselves. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <coughs> Thank you.